welcome. Today's lesson is about bread. And bread represents the um, basic human need for food. And more broadly, it represents all human needs for sustenance. So if you look at your first um, exercise, or kind of if you don't look, if you, yeah, don't look, and think of any words or phrases that you have the word bread. Um, that's the bread. What? Pass that bread upon the waters. What is, yeah. What's the break, meaning? Break. What's break bread? What does that mean? Right. Have not just like bread literally, and right. but like have a meal, yes. a full meal right. with probably people, other people. Right. Abraham. Breadwinner. Breadwinner, meaning? Bring in home the dough. Bring in home the dough. Bread, well, and if you look at your figure 4.1, breadwinner, right? We said that one. Yes. Put bread on the table, bread basket, especially productive region. The bread and butter of the best thing since sliced bread bread and circuses i've never can you that. make that bigger it's very small and that's thank you that's great the bread breadwinner someone's a breadwinner yes someone's a breadwinner the staff of life common reference to bread bread slang for money dough slang for money so you know from this from these words and phrases that include the word bread we see that bread is used more broadly to represent this human um, need for sustenance. And accordingly, um, this is reflected in spirituality. So just like bread is the mainstay and staple of humanity, it is a very significant, it has a, this is reflected in, in spirituality and therefore it has a lot of mitzvot and observances um, that pertain to bread. So we're going to talk tonight about some of those mitzvahs and observances, and then we'll get a little deeper into the, the Kabbalah of bread and talk about the process of bread making and, and how that parallels our personal inner spiritual work. Okay, so we'll talk about three observances, and then we'll get into a little bit of the Kabbalah of bread making. Um, and yeah, that will be it. So the three mitzvah observances that we'll talk about are the blessings that you make before and after bread. Um, the hand washing that you do for bread and the mitzvah, a little bit about the mitzvah of challah. And then we'll go on, we'll take it a little deeper into the Kabbalah of bread. So with blessings before and after, every time you eat something, and this was last month's class, every time you eat food, you recite a blessing. And this blessing acknowledges that God is the source of our sustenance. Um, we learned last month that all the different foods have different blessings and bread has its own blessing. What's that blessing? And it's just for bread. And there's a few, a couple of things that are unique about this blessing. Um, and one of them is that when you say, if you're sitting down to a meal and you have bread at that meal and you say hamotzi, it encompasses all the other foods and all the other blessings. So you're covered. So you say hamotzi, you wash your hands, you say hamotzi at the beginning, and then you don't need to say any of the other blessings on 
all that different other foods that you eat. If you aren't doing that and you aren't eating bread at the beginning, then you need to say the blessing on the fruit and the blessing on the vegetable and the blessing on the piece of the cookie and the blessing on the dessert, all the different things, all the separate mitz- the blessings separately. If you start your meal with bread and you make the hamotzi on the bread, then you have, you, you're covered. Um, and that is because of the special status that bread has and everything else is secondary to, to it. And therefore it's included in the statement of hamotzi lechem in haaretz, who brings forth bread from the earth and now all the other blessings are covered. Um, another distinction is in the blessing after the bread. So after you eat your bench, you eat the grace after meals, the full benching, the four blessings, you only say the full grace after meals if you've had a meal that included bread. If it did not include bread, you say a much shorter um, after blessing. Um, it's not considered a full meal. It's not considered a soda. It's not considered a, a sit down meal in the full sense. It's just kind of like a snack. If it had bread, then you have a standalone, full, long version of the after the blessing. Haircut. Exactly. So you're doing a bracha just on the cookie and then you're doing a very short after blessing. It's like a two nights, um, which sometimes like kids don't want to wash for bread because they don't want to say the long after blessing. <laughs> no, I don't want to say the whole thing. Um, okay, so that was the one observance around bread and adults. Yes. <laughs> Correct. Um, I actually this story with my husband's grandmother. She wrote into the weather that she really likes to eat bread, but and she needs to eat it. You know, she was a Russia, she was a, a refugee from Stalinist Russia, and she was just complaining about some things. And Rebbe actually told her that she could wash in the morning and bench in the evening. Oh, really? She likes to eat bread three meals a day. <laughs> so a lot of my husband's family takes that on. They're like, no, no, I can wash in the morning and bench. Right, really wash wash <laughs> once. <laughs> no, you like you probably could do right. So that was like special permission, right. but you could exactly. But like if you there's if there's like if you're eating it without a certain amount of time passing and a certain amount of dis- like if you really are continuously eating it. Right. Then you can read all. But otherwise, you need special permission to knock Babi Daich. If you're eating bread all day. And what about, uh, you know, nowadays that, like, like a few weeks ago, I had to make one that was uh, gluten free and vegan. So if, do you need like certain. Yes. Uh, yeah. You so know, you need the five rings. One of the five. Five okay. rings. So there is something called, like, you can make bread. Yes, it's, it's, you can make gluten-free bread. For, one of, for it to be hamotzi, it needs to have one of the five grains. But also you can do, like, flour. And if there's no water, there's juice. Then it becomes mizonot. So sometimes you, you know how you find expensive cake. It doesn't have the flour, water, combo. So that's how something, I mean, I don't think there's any bakeries that do it here. But I've in New York, you can get mizonot bread. Yes. So, right, so it doesn't have enough water to make it a real dough. So it's kind of like a cake dough and then it's, you, you don't make the bahamotzi on it, but it's kind of like a loophole. Um, but I was gonna get to the measurements, but it doesn't matter, you can read these after. Okay, so then there is the washing for bread. So that's the other observance I will talk, second observance I will talk about called Natilat Yadayim, the ritual washing of hands. So of course, before you eat, you should always wash your hands. But this is not a um, hygiene washing. It is a ritual washing. And the reason why we do it is interesting. Um, 
So many, there's 613 mitzvot. We hear that all the time, 613, 613. Of those 613, many can only be done in when the temple was standing and the service, there was active service in the temple. In fact, there's only 270 of those 613 that we can do today. So I can't do math, but 613 minus 270, that's how many only apply in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple. Um, and so the hand washing actually is one of those that comes from the temple and the priests, because they're, and the Levium, because their service was the only job that they could have was working in the temple. They didn't have any, any other farm or field or any other day job. So they had no other, they had no way of making money. So the way that they had food and the way that they were fed was that the people, everybody else in Israel, when they worked their fields and they worked their made their doughs, they would tithe and teruma and miser certain portions of all their foods, they would bring it to the temple, to the Kohanim and the Nevi'im. So challah was the portion of bread that was separated from, that people would separate from their dough to give to the Kohen so that his family had bread to eat. And before the Kohen would eat that bread portion that he got, he would have to be in a state of ritual purity, so he would wash his hands. So we wash our hands today because it's an opportunity to fulfill and to remember a temple mitzvah. So it was one of those that the rabbis instituted that we continue doing today as a tangible reminder of all these mitzvot that we don't not, we no longer do in the temple. Yes. We have Kohanim in our, in our, um, in our communities. Why don't we give the, that piece of the chalots to Kohanim in our communities? So all those mitzvot that we do, there's all that, that 630 minus 270, those mitzvot that we don't, that, the temp that don't apply when the temple isn't standing, that all those those mitzvahs of Chiruma and Meiser are the ones that only apply when the temple's standing. Yeah, but you're still doing something with that little piece of challah. You're, right. you're, you're marking it as separate and holy and you're burning it, but you don't have that system anymore of the Kohanim working in the temple and therefore needing to be given our tithe. Exactly. They have jobs. <laughs> this is all going to come back when the temple's back, please God. So we are washing our hands um, as a everyday reminder of the last mitzvot of the temple. I found that interesting. I actually wasn't, didn't know why. I knew it was like something to do with ritual purity and interesting. Okay, um, so the basics of hand washing, if you look in your, in your printout of the book and I'll just scroll down over here, we'll just go through the actual how to quickly. So, okay. So first of all, um, if you look at page 79, you will see figure 4.2. It gives you a very classic washing cup. Um, so to wash your hands for bread. So first of all, your hands are actually supposed to be clean um, because it's not a hand washing for cleanliness. So if, you if your hands are not clean, then you're supposed to wash them first so that they're clean. So that when you do this ritual washing, you're actually the water and your full hand, uh, there's direct contact and there's nothing in, the, in between. Mikvah, yes, exactly. So you're kind of wash, putting, cleaning away everything else first so that you're washing. Um, so the requirements for Natila Jadayim are water, it should be poured from a vessel and it should be poured by human action. So um, water, you're not, there's no soap involved. There's no, you can't do it with a, um, alcohol hand, hand sanitizer. Um, it should be clear. It shouldn't be like brown, bad smelling, dirty water. It should be clean water. 
you're washing from your fingertips to your wrist. So it's not just like a thing, it's not just like a fingertip wash, it's all the way to your wrist. And um, the water should be poured from a vessel. So you're kind of putting that washing cup under the sink, pulling it up, pouring it over your hands. And it should be not cracked, not broken, not perforated. It should hold enough water to wash your entire hand. And that shows you a little picture of a classic washing cup. It should be poured out of the cup through human action. So you can't turn on the sink and then just go one, two, like just run your hand under the sink. There's supposed to be human action involved. Um, placing your hands under running water does not count. Um, rarely, if one wash is enough, and we do it, some people do it twice, some people do it three times. So the reason once is theoretically enough, the reason why you do it more than once is because if there was any ritual impurity on your hands, then the first wash would kind of become impure with whatever is on your hands. So you do a second one. And then I guess you can kind of like keep going <laughs> for infinity. So you do three, just because we're a little OCD like that. But I was just thinking of like when you rinse your pot, it's like you'll how many times do you want to rinse it? So you make sure that there's no soap that's gonna be in your chicken. Like you just wa- rinse it a couple times so that there's nothing left. So you're just washing off that impurity. Um, Chabad does it three times. Some people do it twice, but once is technically is enough. Before you eat, this eat. is before you eat bread. No, oh, this is that. Then the tilak and then you make the No, okay. before so the baking is, is just the hand washing for cleanliness. It's before every meal if there's bread at the meal. Yes, and really, there's supposed to be bread at every meal because bread is what makes it a considered a meal, and you want to be able to do the full blessing, the full after blessing. So. Um, Okay, so if you look at figure 4.3, it's a quick um, hand washing tutorial. Um, so we'll just each read a step. So Lisa, you start with number one. Do you see it? Do you have it? 120. Prepare your hands yes, for ritual washing by cleaning them thoroughly with soap and water if necessary and drying them well. Also remove rings and any foreign ob- objects so that the ritual cleaning water will come in direct contact with every part of your hand. Okay, so step one is preparing your hand. Step two, Sandrine. Pour the washing cup in your right hand and fill it with water. Transfer the fill cup to the left hand. Three, Nina. Position right hand so that the fingers are apart and the fingertips are pointed slightly upward, allowing the water to reach every part of the fingertips to risk one continuous flow. Pour water over right hand. Repeat the action two more times for total three floors. Transfer cup to the wash right hand so you care that it does not touch the unwashed left hand or any contaminated water on the cup. You can close the screen by using a towel to hold the cup. Refill <laughs> the cup if necessary. Repeat step number three with the left hand, pouring water over it three times in succession. Okay. Now you get the number six. Rub the two wet hands together in a scrubbing motion and looking at slightly recite the blessing. Dry hands well. Proceed immediately to make the mochi blessing on the bread. Do not speak or engage in any other activity between the ritual washing and the beginning of the meal. So what's that about? Disrespect? Just... No, because you don't want to Sorry. They're not talking? Um, because that blessing is, it's like part one of the, eating the bread. You're not supposed to make a se- separate from the beginning to the end. So you wash, 
yeah, you watch, you don't talk, you also don't wait too much time. So like if you've ever been in uh, like dad's house, he's like, because you're rushing everybody, ah, 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 like, because everyone's chatting and you know, he's like, no, have sex. You can't make a, too much of a break either with talking or with time between the beginning of that observance and the end of it. Does that include hand signals? <laughs> no, it does not. Really? If it's Leia, of... could you scroll down just a little more so yes, we can yes, see sorry, the whole that's blessing? The Thank you. That's the blessing, and that is the okay. So um, the third observance around bread that really is not the focus of the class tonight is about the mitzvah of separating challah. Um, so we'll just, if you've been at any of our other challah making, challah baking workshops, the you know we focused on this a little bit more. But um, when you are baking bread, if you are baking more than, we said, um, less than two pounds, you do not separate challah at all. Two to three pounds, you separate without a blessing and three plus, you do separate. So um, in the process of baking challah, once you have a dough, um, you rake off a piece to, um, to remember the, the piece of challah that they gave to the priests and you put it, you say a blessing on it and you put it aside. Um, what's, what we'll do sometimes, Dina mentioned this before, if you're not, you don't usually bake that much bread and you want, if you're baking challah, then it's just an opportunity to do a mitzvah. So you can triple or whatever it is till you get enough pounds out of dough so that you can make the blessing and then freeze the how did, bread. how did you know like between two and three pounds i mean it was a bag of flour a bag of flour but, and that's based no but i'm just saying like in you know the, the laws of when you when you divide and when you say the prayer i mean where is it you know it's the code as well but but they did they use pounds so they didn't they used sizes and then at a certain point when it was codified it became, but they did use measurements they just used like Different, yeah, yeah, yeah different weights. So, how was it? Weights. At what point was it then translated into pounds? And and if you're in Europe and you use kilograms, right? So it's 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 debatable. Mm -hmm. That's why it's always like five to six pounds. You know, it's like the the size of an egg, the size of a bigger egg. The eggs. What was it? A goose egg? Was it? You know, <laughs> right. So, so that this, it is debatable, yeah. but I think there is a whole transmission and process of this becoming codified into like. Shulchan Aruch, which is like the code of Jewish law that, you know, is Mishnah Burah, like what is followed today. And then um, the most accepted, I think, is about almost a five pound bag of flour, maybe minus two cups, but it's about that. If you can make the flour. So, because they're like so magical, not magical, but some type of amazing. There's also this cup measurement, so it's like up to eight cups. Is this is and this is in here? I think it's in actually, it's not, it's in this, it's in the, it's in the book, the appendix. Right, you would need a triple it, you would need a triple. It's 12 cups is separating with a blessing. Well, yeah, that's why I only, I right. And then you say the blessing and you say a prayer and then we'll talk in it when we, we'll move on to the Kabbalah of bread and we'll talk back about why. Do not touch. 
Okay, so we'll go deeper into the Kabbalah of bread, and we'll we'll touch back onto why you um, the the why you make the blessing when it's a dough, and not at any other point in the process. Um, so, um, Kabbalah teaches that there is the physical and spiritual sides of our the physical and spiritual sides of our existence mirror each other, and so just as bread is the mainstay of physical life, so to the process of bread making exists in our spiritual lives, in our spiritual work, in our spiritual self-growth, and in our avoda. And the process of bread making is a model for our avoda. So we're going to look at, there's a lot of steps in bread making. We're going to look at the three main ones, and we're going to you know, talk about what they are in physical, physical terms of sewing and winnowing and kneading and then what that those each represent in our spiritual work so the three steps that we're going to look at in the process of making bread and there are many more steps but we'll just give it three general ones are sewing the planting um winnow, uh, selecting winnowing and selecting and then kneading and we'll talk about each of those um let me see what we're up to. I'm kind of skipping around in the in the book, so you're not going to really. I'll just tell you when we get to a text which one we're up to. I change the order. Okay, so the first step we're talking about is sewing. So sewing, if you look in your book at page eighty-four, it is text number four. Um, and sewing is the idea of taking a seed and putting it into the soil, into the ground, basically planting. And let's look at text four to get an idea of what the spiritual service of sewing represents. Um, who would like to read? Anyone, any volunteers? Go ahead. The soul's descent. Mm -hmm. The soul's descent into the body is indeed an enormous descent coming down from its place of glory to become invested within a materialistic physical body and an animal soul full of materialistic desires. But this is a descent for the sake of ascent. This is like the growth of a field whereby a plentitude of grain is brought forth by sowing. So too, it is with the descent of the soul into the body and the scattering of the people of Israel in the four directions of the world. All this is for the sake of the growth that sprouts forth in terms of the revelation of godliness. For although the heavens are loftier than the earth, only the earth has the power to make grow a huge abundance of blessing. Okay, so imagine somebody who's never seen or heard of farming, never met a farmer, never seen the process, has only seen the product. And they'll come across a bag of seeds, I don't know, seeds that are edible. And so they're about to eat them. And then this farmer walks by and says, wait, don't eat those. Instead of eating them, why don't you dig up the soil beside you and plant them? And the person that thinks that that would be a waste of good seed says, why would I do such a wasteful thing and bury them in the soil? Mm -hmm. And the farmer would then explain, well, if you bury them, then they'll decompose. And then if you take good care of the soil and the field and you water them and you pull the weeds, then in a couple of months, crops will grow. And this person who doesn't understand this process might say, why would I go through the trouble if I can eat them right now and the farmer might explain if you eat them now you'll have you know a handful of food you'll have one meal and if you sow them in the earth you'll have food for an entire year so the inner spiritual parallel of the story is that our soul is like the seed and it doesn't initially understand why it's got to leave its glorious existence as a spiritual being in you know besides God in heaven and 
be buried in a materialistic body and corrupted, decomposed by this materialistic life. But Jackie just read, like the seed, this is in, this soul is investing in the body and this investment produces much greater results than the soul could have achieved had it stayed in its lap of luxury, in God's lap of luxury. So that ability that it's going to now, that goodness that it's going to bring to the world, the light that it's going to bring to the world, the repair that it's going to bring to the world, the godliness that it's going to bring to the world can only be brought through it being put into a body put, and into a materialistic life. So just like that seed is being put into the soil, decomposing, and then a year's full of crops can grow. That's just like the soul's journey of leaving this very comfortable, blissful, godly spot and coming into the world. And the reward is so many more times bountiful than its existence had it been purely spiritual. So that is the first step of um, the Kabbalah of, of, of bread, where we're taking our soul and it's going through the same process, like a seed that's planted in soil and then growing this beautiful crops and trees and um, things that then sustain other people for years and generations. Um, the next step is this selecting. Um, there's the winnowing, selecting, and sifting. And all of them are the same idea of choosing. So you're separating good from bad, and you're selecting the, win the winnowing part of it. The um, selecting and the sifting are all part of the bread baking. Um, and the winnowing, this, those three steps are... Um, there's three general categories of choices that we make in our everyday life. So on the most basic level, we choose between good and evil or between, you know, right and wrong. Um, and that would be like winnowing, which is the, the, the removing the chaff from the grain, but it's the most, the biggest pieces of like the bad stuff from the good stuff. It's like the most obvious separation of good and bad. Um, it's the stock from the chaff, right? It's the um, winnowing, the chaff and the kernels are thrown up into the wind, which carries away the lighter chaff while the heavier kernels are caught in a basket below. But it's clearly like the part that you want and the part that you don't want, just the process of just separating them. Then, so those are choices that we make every day. And obviously that's the easier and the clearer choices. Then it gets a little more subtle um, when, and that's the second, the, the selecting is, um, when the choice becomes a little more subtle and the difference between the right and the wrong is not is a little less obvious. And in these situations, you need to um, carefully examine the consequences. Sometimes that will help you gain clarity of which one is the right and wrong thing to do. You know, what's gonna happen kind of like seeing the future of each, cho each choice. And sometimes it means seeking guidance from somebody else who can help you make that choice. So that would be a little more subtle, a more refined selecting. And in the process of bread baking, so after you've winnowed and you've selected the larger pieces of chaff from the kernels, there still remain smaller fragments of chaff or other impurities mixed in with the grain. So the next step is a more discerning selection, the hand or machine that picks out the remaining small pieces of inedible matter from the grain. So it's a more refined selecting, separating. And then you go on to sifting when where the spiritual, the, the avoda part of it, you don't have to sift anymore? No, but I think the flour that you have in the bag is like already sifted. Right. Right. 
So in this, in the bread, in the avoda, in our in our work, that process is sometimes the choice is not between good and bad, but rather two different options for good. Like you have this this good option, this good choice, and this good choice, and you have to just figure out which is the right one for you. And there you need to look within, and it's not as easy, and just do that work and to figure out which is the right one for you and for fulfilling your life's mission. You give me an example. Two good choices, like this, I could do this and I could do this. Which one's the right one for me? Like you got these two mixed mixes that are going to be one of them. Take care of your body, you're going to the tonic class, take a break. Exactly. Okay. Right. Two good choices. Which one's right for you? It's not a right or wrong. There isn't like this is right and this is wrong. There's right for you. Which is the, which one speaks to you, to your mission, to you being successful? Like which one do you need for you to do your for you to do you? Which one? It's usually not the easy one, right? Oh, great. Well, it's harder than that choice. So in the bread making process, this is the, finally the kernels, I'll just read it. Finally, the kernels are milled into flour, but the kernel has many layers, several outer layers of bran, starchy body, a nutrient packed gem. You can look at the picture, the figure 4.5 and numerous other components. See illustration. The complex anatomy of the kernel is what creates the possibility of the many different kinds of bread that can be made. So that's the most subtle um, selection process. And of course, life would be simpler if we never had to make tough choices, then it would also be devoid of meaning and meaningful achievements. And it's the struggle to separate the bad from the good and to navigate our options and opportunities. Yes, that give us- Enjoy it while it lasts, it's gonna go away. Give, that's what gives us ownership of our lives and makes us feel like we are in a position that we're in a life that we chose for ourselves. It takes away, gives us that ownership. It takes, it can take away that victim mentality and gives meaning to our lives. Um, so yeah, again, it's not supposed to be easy. It would be a lot simpler if we weren't making those choices, but the choices are such a big part of our, our work. I mean, dough is an amazing substance. Dough is an amazing. You work take nothing water right you, you take these notes like all these little tiny separate so that's actually been the, the third step that we'll talk about is kneading which is what you were just yeah. saying which in bread making there's this this process of like taking something and making it into as tiny little separate particles that's the first part of the process and the second part of the process is bringing it all back together making it back into one unite one whole cohesive dough so there's this you take in grain in its natural state is many small kernels and then you make it into even more tiny small separate little pieces of tiny particles of flour and then you reverse this process by mixing in mixing the flour with water and other ingredients and you bind it into one cohesive whole and only then can you make the blessing because this process is the same process underlies everything that we do in this world. We're in this world to make this world into a home for God. And making bread is such a big part of making a home, part of your home. And so making our making this world into God, really making this world into a home for God parallels this process. Um, so one of the rules of fulfilling the mitzvah of challah is that can only the blessing can only be made over the dough. You can't take the bag of flour and make the blessing, even if you're planning to make it into a dough can't take a five pound bag of King Arthur flour and separate a cup of it and make the blessing. You can only make the blessing and do the mitzvah over a dough. Um, 
the deeper will end with the, the reason for this, which is Kabbalistic and really similar to what Nina was just saying in text five. Um, Nina, will you read it, please? Sure. The purpose of the mitzvah of Hala is to elevate our material activities and unite them with godliness. This is represented by the dough, which combines, combines flour and water. Flour is comprised of many particles, disparate specks. The water unites them into a single entity. In the spiritual sense, this represents the idea that material things, which are separate and apart, like the disparate specks of flour, are unified by means of Torah, which is referred to as water. So... I was thinking there's in, in Torah. Yeah, so, right. So, in, in Torah, yeah. But, and also, like, Torah is compared to water. And so, the definition of materialism and the opposite of godliness is everything being separate, and then God represents unity. So, you take this, this process of taking all these, like, very separate little particles of flour and unifying them with water, which is Torah, and that is the reflection of our like, service know, in this world. And then it grows, and then it feeds it. There's something alive about it. Yeah. And I think it's really cool. What I've learned, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. is that um, you really can never screw up your dough, right? Like, <laughs> like you could, I, I have, have. I have. Well, absolutely. <laughs> have. You have to have faith in it. It's all about the faith in it. Like, I have, My, you call like you and I've added them to the dough, and it worked. Like, I know it's, it's true. It's pretty resilient. It is so very resilient. resilient. It's so resilient, and it's so, um, I think it's such, it's so, it's so metaphorical, like, you know, yeah. what we're seeing here, and that it's, um, and know, then look how many cool things you can add to it. Like, you can spice it up every which way. You could just bring so much of your own flavor yeah. and style, and like, I don't know. So, Which also, as a, as a, as a human being, right, you're supposed to bring your own flavor to it. You're not meant to just be this. I'm this with this. They're not know? supposed to all be perfectly right, exactly. weighed and We're perfectly not, balanced. No, no but we just for the materialism is the exact opposite of godliness. No, no, no. That's what I heard. We said that materialism is the opposite of godliness or God or that's actually, what I heard. Actually, what I heard Dara say was that it all comes together. Echa, what do you say in the morning that night? My Israel can look in Echa. Everything is one. Everything is united under godliness. Materialism is separate, so it's not God. It's just, it's, this is a whole other conversation. It's just covered with a klipa. It's just, we don't, Hashem created the world on purpose and hid himself. Olam, Melashem, Helam, like it's covered. So the things you're seeing as not godliness is because there's a shell over it. There's a husk and a shell, and you have to get to it. But inside, the, the root of everything is not. Oh, the, ultimately, yes, everything is, yeah. we're trying to bring everything back to God, but the way that it represents itself, if something, the more self-absorbed and selfish something is, the more removed it is from godliness. Now you're just trying to like bring it back. Okay, that's I'm so sorry. Yes. But um, that's, that's our class. 